Today is Spanglish Day again. So, good morning, church. Uh, the Lord bless you, and He keeps you. And God bless all the military servers and veteranos in español. Zach uh, has taught me how to say in both languages, so I say in español and Spanglish. So, we're going to read today. <laughs> Let's uh, read James 2, 14 through 17. If you would like to read the Bibles, are there um, in the pew? And that will be page 1012. I think I said it correct. So let's go to James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. This is the word of God. Good morning again, church. We are in the book of James. We've been working our way through this. We've heard lots of encouragement from you as we've been uh, making our way through the book of James that this has been a helpful series. Real wisdom, real faith. Real wisdom, real faith. Hey, have you ever known somebody who was all talk? Yeah? You don't need to raise hands or anything. <laughs> and definitely don't point. Um, you know, that, that person who, like, talks a good game, but then they don't ever actually back it up. They don't ever do what they, what they say. Um, I'm married. So if I say to my wife, I love you, and I, I get a t-shirt that says, I love my wife, and I have a mug that says, I love my wife, but then whenever she asks me to help, I don't. Whenever she wants to go out on a date night, I don't. Whenever she comes up and wants to give me a little schnooky schnooky, I push her away. Don't come near me, woman. You would say, he doesn't love his wife, right? He doesn't love his wife. He's all talk. He's all talk. That's what James is addressing with us this morning. We come, we come today, what Melba read for us, and the, and the verses that follow, Pastor Mark will get into the, the next section next week. We come today to what is maybe the most controversial section of the New Testament. Definitely the most controversial part of James. Maybe the most controversial verses in all of the New Testament. Oceans of ink have been spilt trying to figure out how can Paul the Apostle say one thing, and James literally says the exact opposite. It is a great Reformation truth, sola fide, faith alone, 
We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. And we, and we say yes to that. We preach that. Paul will say, we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith alone. And then we come to James, and James says, but faith without works is dead. And next week, Pastor Mark will tackle, he'll literally say, no one is justified by faith alone. He literally says those words. And so we're left scratching our heads. Do Paul and James not like each other? <laughs> Do they not agree with each other? And our answer has to be no to that because we know that they knew each other. We know that they hung out. We know that they had the same gospel. In Acts chapter 15, they were both at the council of Jerusalem where they literally hammered out this issue. How is a person saved? Is a person saved by works of the law? And they both stood up and said, no, a person is not saved by works of the law, are they? And so we have to be able to understand as Christians reading this that James is a different apostle writing to a different audience of Hebrews. Paul is writing to Gentiles, different settings, different goals, and literally different definitions for words. And I'm not going to get into all that because that's a whole other sermon or class or, or whatever. But we have to understand that the way James uses words like faith works, righteousness, are a little different from how Paul uses those same exact words. But hopefully by the end of today's sermon, I'm gonna, we're going to go outside of James quite a bit this morning, and I'm going to show you Paul. And hopefully by the time we're done, you're going to say, oh yeah, they're saying the same thing. They're saying the same thing. James is, is a pastor whose biggest concern for his church is he wants them to be doers, not just hearers. Remember that? He wants them to be doers. He doesn't want their faith to just be a shell. He doesn't want it to be a car with no gas, a car without an engine that you can look at and go, wow, that's really pretty and that's nice, but it doesn't drive. <laughs> that thing's not going anywhere. He doesn't want that to be our Christianity. He wants us to bridle our tongue. He wants us to have no partiality. He wants us to show mercy. And as we keep going through the rest of the letter, he'll, he'll add other things that he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be all talk, no action. He doesn't want us to have profession of faith without doing the sacrificial, like Brother Ray talked about, the sacrificial acts of serving faith. So what about you this morning? How do you live? Does your faith produce works? Or are you all talk? That's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. James, real wisdom, real faith. Sermon title, real faith works. Real faith works. And so we're going to talk about this connection between faith and works. Let's jump in. Lesson one, we must understand the nature of saving faith. So let's start there. Let's talk about that. First of all, everyone has faith. I want you to understand this, that everyone has faith in something. A lot of the new atheists today will say, I don't have faith. I, you, you religious people have faith. I don't have faith. And, and as a religious guy, I would say, yeah, you do. You got faith in something. 
You believe something. You have a system of belief behind, behind what you do and say. You have something that gives your life meaning. Maybe it's yourself, but that's a form of faith, isn't it? Maybe I believe in science, right? Well, that's, that's faith in something. Everybody has faith. And just, just on an everyday level, we all we live by faith. Have you ever gone to a doctor? Raise your hand if you've gone to a doctor. Okay. But you haven't been to med school yourself, right? How many of you have ever taken your car to a mechanic? Yeah. Man, I'm just trusting those guys, right? I'm walking by faith. That auto tech is not ripping me off. I'm walking by faith when I sit down on a chair, when I cross a bridge, when I drive on that, that Bay Bridge, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm living by faith that a bunch of engineers knew what they were doing. Right? Praise God. <laughs> Woo! Everyone lives by faith. Here's my question, though. Can your faith sustain you? Can it, can it hold up to your questions? If you're, just, if you're an atheist or a naturalist, if you just believe in science, my question, you know, for example, is, aren't we all, nobody saw the first thing, the, the, you know, the, the first cause. Nobody saw that. Can we all agree? So we're all just living by faith. As a deist, I'm living by faith. As an atheist, you're living by faith. Because none of us saw what caused the Big Bang or whatever you're, whatever you're calling it. And beyond, like, what about just in our hearts? You know, Ray talked about sacrificial love. Let's talk about that for just a second. Is, is love really just a chemical reaction in my brain? Well, how does that work with survival of the fittest? And then how do you explain something like sacrificial love? Because sacrificial love would say, I'm not ever going to sacrifice for somebody weaker than me. And yet people do it all the time, don't they? Have you ever seen a mother? How do we explain that? How do we explain that? Faith. We believe in something. We believe in something bigger, deeper, farther, something that transcends. Everyone has faith, but not everyone has saving faith. Everyone has faith, but not everyone has saving faith. Saving faith is not historic faith. I believe Jesus lived and died on a cross. That is not saving faith, is it? Everybody with half a brain, every historian with half a brain believes that Jesus Christ lived and died on a cross. The only people who don't are, are the, the, I wanted to say idiots, but I'll just say the foolish people, <laughs> the foolish people on the internet who want us to think that Jesus didn't live and die on a cross. But he did. Saving faith is not theological faith. I believe in the teachings of Jesus. That's not saving faith. It's not saving faith. I have an emotional faith. 
Jesus makes me feel good. Jesus comforts me. Great. I'm glad he does. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is not faith in faith. Saving faith is not faith in the Bible. Saving faith is not faith in the church. Saving faith is not faith in traditions. Saving faith is not intellectual assent. Saving faith is not just a profession. Look at verse 18. Melba didn't read this, but look at verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. You see what they're putting against each other, juxtaposing faith and works, and they're saying, I have a profession of faith, you have works. Isn't that enough? Isn't my profession enough? And James' answer is no. No. You cannot separate the two. And listen to me, Christians. Listen to me, church parents. Your child made a profession of faith at five or six or seven, and now that they're 25, 26, 27, they've abandoned that and said, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in Christ. We cannot separate the two. The profession was not real. It wasn't saving faith. I'm sorry to say it to you, but it wasn't. Faith produces works. So if all that's gone when they went to college and heard a different story from their professors, and it's in, then, then the profession in VBS was not true saving faith. You might just have demonic faith. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry to go beyond my text, but sorry, Pastor Mark. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons have way better doctrine than you do. He's, he's talking about the Shema. He's talking about Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your, your strength. He's saying the demons believe that God is one. And they, and they even have a right response. They're afraid. They shudder. But you know what the demons don't believe in? They don't believe in salvation. They don't have saving faith. They don't believe in forgiveness. They don't believe in grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. They don't believe in that. Saving faith. Here's my long definition of saving faith. Saving faith is a transfer of trust away from ourselves and into the hope of Jesus Christ. His life and work on the cross that removed our guilt and offers us new life. Saving faith is a transfer of trust. Pastor Lane used to do this illustration all the time. I'm going to evoke Pastor Lane. I put my trust in myself. I put my trust in my own righteousness. 
my own goodness. I put my trust in my career or my parenting abilities or even my, my niceness, my good looks, whatever it might be. Saving faith is a transfer of trust where now I stop trusting myself and I start trusting Jesus Christ. I've, I've taken it from trusting myself to transferring it to a whole nother source. I don't add Jesus. I, I'm not piling Jesus onto what I already am trusting in. Do you understand that? I'm just going to, I'm going to add a little Jesus in, right? I'll be good and I'll add a little Jesus in just to make sure. I'll work hard, I'll do my thing, I'll earn, I'll climb the ladder, and Jesus will help me to climb the ladder. No, that is not a transfer of trust. Transfer of trust is I was trusting in myself, and now I trust in Christ alone. I don't climb anything, I don't jump through any hoops, I don't bring anything to the table, I don't offer God anything at all. I simply say, Jesus, save me. That is a transfer of trust away from ourselves into the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the object of our faith. In James chapter 2, verse 1 James showed us saving faith. James 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The faith, the saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the end. Notice how limiting that is. Notice how simple that is. Notice that James does not say, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and your ability to figure life out, in our Lord Jesus Christ and your righteous good deeds. He doesn't say that. Saving faith is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the faith. Look again at verse 14. The verses we're reading today. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That faith, not the faith, that faith, or that kind of faith. See what, see what James is doing? He's contrasting two different kinds of faith. There's saving faith and there's insufficient faith. There's saving faith and there's insufficient faith. Saving faith is a transfer of trust away from ourselves into Jesus Christ by His work on the cross that removes our guilt and offers us new life. Removes our guilt and offers us new life. Look at James chapter 2 verse 5. Everybody let your eyes go backwards to verse 5. James says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom 
which he has promised to those who love him. Do you know what saving faith makes you? It makes you an heir. It makes you an heir. Now, let me ask you a question. Does an heir earn his or her inheritance? No. They just get it. By simply being the child of the king or the child of the rich guy. They don't earn it. What does an heir do with their inheritance? I'm hearing it. They spend it. You don't earn your inheritance, you spend your inheritance. Amen? That's what God is saying to you, Christian. He's saying, you don't earn it, I want you to spend it. And that's what good works are. Good works are you spending the goodness of God. Good works are you spending the love of God. Good works are you spending the sacrificial service of God. Not earning it. You got, a, you, got a, you, got a, you got a checking account with trillions of dollars. Just spend it. Enjoy it. Give it away. Share it. Throw it out the car window. I don't care. It's, it's never ending. That's what an heir does. They spend. See, as soon as you say, Oh, man. Oh, I'm reading James. I better get on my horse and start doing some more good works in order to prove that I'm saved. You just became a demon. Because you're only doing the good in order to shudder. You're, you're, you're just doing good because you're afraid. You see it? Your faith is fear. It's not faith plus works. It's faith that works. Please don't ever interpret James 2 as faith plus works. We don't add works to our faith. As soon as we do that, our faith is not in Jesus. Our faith is in ourselves. So as soon as you say, oh man, I better get busy. I got to start proving. I got to start earning. I got to start showing God. I got to start showing the pastors. I got to start showing myself that I'm saved. I better do more, do more, do more. Your faith is now in you, not Jesus. But what is true is that faith will work. Faith that works. No works, dead faith. No faith, dead works. They go together. James is talking about the first equation. If you don't have works, your faith is dead, verse 17. All over Scripture, it'll talk about works that are done without faith, though. In Romans 14, Paul says, anything that's not done from faith is sin. Whoa. Okay, so I have to have both. I have to have both. Let me quickly show you this in a couple passages from Paul. Are you ready? I'm going to put them up on the screen. This is Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. 
in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. But let's keep reading, Paul, in the same book, in the same book, chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, works of the law, counts for anything but only what? Faith doing what? Working through love. Oh, so does Paul think faith and works go together? Yeah, yeah, he does. And then just a couple more verses, 513, for you were called to freedom, brothers, like James says, law of liberty, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Where has Paul taken us in this letter? He's taken us from, we are justified by faith alone, not by works. Oh, faith produces love, love produces works. Christian, do you see it? Do you see it? Let me show you the same thing in Titus chapter 3. Another couple verses in here that if you've been in church for a little while, you might recognize. Paul says this to Timothy, to Titus, sorry, to Titus. But when the goodness of and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, not by self-righteous works, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So that being justified by His grace, we might become what? Heirs. Same language as James. According to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. Are James and Paul saying the same thing? Yeah, they're saying the same thing. They're saying the same thing. When we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ, and made heirs of Christ, heirs of God, that faith will produce spending. Not earning, spending. If I handed you a suitcase full of $10 million, would you hide it in your attic? Would you bury it in your backyard? I mean, I... What, what would you be doing with that money tonight? Like tonight? Am I right? Your house would be paid off tomorrow. Your cars would be paid off. Your student loan debt, boom, gone. You'd be buying grandma a mansion. You'd, you're like, what would you do with $10 million? A hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, a trillion dollars. What would you do with endless love? What would you do if I said you have endless love and mercy? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. 
Come on now. You'd spend it. Let's spend it. Lesson two. Saving faith is merciful to those in need. Because at the end of the day, this, James isn't giving, James isn't, he's not trying to give us a theology class. Paul does. <laughs> Paul wants to do that. The book of Romans is a theology class. James is not a theology class. James isn't thinking, what do I need to teach this church about soteriology, which just means the doctrine of salvation. That's not what he's concerned with. What is, James, what is Pastor James concerned with? Hey, I got poor people in my church and nobody's helping them. That's what he's concerned with. So he gives us this ridiculous example. This ridiculous example. Like, <laughs> that's funny. Verse 15. Let's say a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, Shalom, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? <laughs> That's so silly. Nobody would do that. Except that we do that. Right? We do that. Let me ask you a question. Does your faith in Jesus do anyone any good? Well, it does me good, Brady. I feel great about my faith. It comforts me. It guides me. It sustains me. Great. Great. Does your faith do anybody else any good? Does it do your neighbor any good? Does it do your coworker any good? Does it do widows and orphans any good? Does it shut you up when you should shut up and just listen? Does it keep you from being partial and judging people? Does your faith do anyone any good? That's James' question. What good is that? What good is that? That's the question we all have to wrestle with. What good is my faith? Has your faith changed you, Christian? Has it changed your internal desires? Has it changed your choices? Are you more merciful because you know Jesus? Do you look for needs to meet? What about the needs you're not looking for and they just kind of crash into you? Do you try to meet them? Have you embraced the, the ministry of taking time and, and just being there for someone? James is saying that saving faith is alive to the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the broken, the hungry, the depressed. He doesn't want our faith to just be a shell. He doesn't want it to be a body. Later on in the text, he's going to say, it's like a body without a spirit. Faith without works is like a body without a spirit. Your faith has to show itself. My spirit shows itself through this body. This body, sorry, this body, right? That's, that's how you know that I have a spirit. 
If my body falls over dead, you can say, eh, he doesn't have a spirit. If your faith isn't working, then we can, then we can look at you and go, eh, you don't have faith. That's what James is telling us. Merciful talk is not mercy. Good intentions are not faith. I said that a few weeks ago. It literally, it's so ridiculous, it literally translates, um, go in peace, be warmed and filled. You can literally translate it as you're looking at the person and saying, shalom, go warm yourself, go fill yourself. Shalom is the everyday greeting of the Jewish people, isn't it? Go in peace. Shalom. It's, it's hello and goodbye. So what about us? Have a good day. Take care. I'll pray for you. Ouch, Brady. <laughs> Let me know if I can help. I hope you get what you need. God will send you a miracle. What if you're the miracle? Right? What if you're the one God sent? Who do you help? Who do you not help? Who are you partial to in your mercy? Do you only help beautiful people? Do you only help young people? Do you help addicts, the poor, people with mood disorders, people with psychological problems? Who do you help? Saving faith is merciful to those in need. Lesson three, look to Christ as the author, the founder and perfecter of your faith, the founder or author and perfecter of your faith. Okay, Brady, now that you made us feel terrible in point two, help me. How do I do it? How do I live that way? How do I, how do I be merciful? How do I have active faith that does? How do I have faith that's more than just a proclamation, but actually a way of life, an instinct, really an instinct? How do I have faith that helps and cares? We do it by faith in our union with Christ. We do it by faith in our union with Christ. James doesn't go into all this. This is a, this is a pretty Pauline doctrine, a doctrine from the Apostle Paul. I would say that it's maybe the most important doctrine that every Christian needs to understand, that you are united to Christ you are in Christ, and Christ is in you if you are a Christian. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. That means that everything that happened to Jesus happened to you. Jesus lived, you're living. Jesus suffered, you're suffering. Jesus died, you died. Jesus buried, you were buried. Jesus rose, you rose. Jesus, Jesus ascended and glorified, you've been glorified. Everything that has happened to Jesus has happened to you, to him physically, to you spiritually. Romans 6, don't you know that you died with Christ? Don't you know that you were buried with Christ? 
Don't you know that you were raised with Christ? Ephesians 2, don't you know that you are already seated in the heavenly places? Romans 8, don't you know that whom he justified, he already glorified? Do you see it, church? Everything that happened to Jesus has happened to you. Why? Because you are in Christ. You exist in him. If it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. This includes, praise God, this includes Jesus' good works. All of Jesus' good deeds have been credited to you, Christian. When you stand in front of God and Jesus holds up straight A's, guess what you get to hold up? Straight A's. When Jesus stands before the Father and says, look at the gold star on my forehead. Look right there, gold star. I did it. Guess what you get to show? Gold star. Gold star. Everything that happened to Jesus has been given to you. Everything that Jesus gets, guess what? You get. Everything that Jesus... Is this soaking in? Everything Jesus gets, you get. He's a good older brother. You understand what I'm saying? Prodigal son? That's my robe. That's my ring. That's my fatted cow. No, Jesus is the brother that's like, you know what? Check out my closet. Take anything you want. Wear my ring. Wear my sandals. And I'm cooking tonight. That's what Jesus says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, Christian, the universe is yours. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? The universe is yours. Spend wisely. (laughs) We have everything Jesus has. We get everything Jesus is going to get. We have everything Jesus has. And listen, everything we do by faith is Jesus doing it. That's what it means to be united to Christ. Anything you do by faith, it's the same as if Jesus did it himself. So what's my motivation, Brady? I'm going to give you three motivations as we, as we wrap up. If these three things can't get you excited about good works, I got nothing else. This is it. That's all I got. Number one, Christ's good work was done for us. Christ's good, notice I'm using the singular, Christ's good work, the cross, was done for us. We have received the greatest of all good works, death for our sin, replacement of our shame, guilt erased, unconditional love and mercy, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, union with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who did what? Loved me and gave himself for me. That is the ultimate good work. Christian, this alone should motivate you. Jesus has done everything for me. If I can't, if, if, if he's shown me so much mercy, so much forgiveness, so much kindness, so much grace, can I not go out into the world and show all those same things? But I got more for you. Number two, 
Christ is the one doing the good works through you. Not only did Christ do a good work for you, He's doing His works through you. Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, union with Christ, for what? Good works. We are in Christ Jesus for good works. Our good works? His good works. His good works. Do you see it? Anytime you get up off the chair, anytime you get moving, anytime you roll up your sleeves, it's as if Jesus himself is doing it. Jesus wants to work through you. He didn't just do something for you and then say, okay, have a good day and walk away. He indwells you and says, okay, now together, let's participate together. Let's be a team. You got the body. I got the spirit. Let's go. And we go out and we do what Jesus wants to do. And he does it through us. Praise God. If that doesn't motivate you, don't worry, I got one more. I got one more. All good works done for others are done for Christ. This one might be the the deepest one, the hardest to kind of grasp. But Jesus said it this way. One day the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You see, union with Christ, Christ's incarnation into humanity means that he has united himself to all humanity. Therefore, anything we do to a fellow human being, we are doing to Jesus. Anything we do for an image bearer of Jesus, we are doing for Jesus. Love a child, you're loving Jesus. Feed the homeless, you fed Jesus. Visit a prisoner, you visited Jesus. Visit a widow, you visited Jesus. Care for an orphan, you cared for Jesus. Pack a shoebox, you sent a gift to Jesus. Take, take a basket to somebody on Grace Gives Thanksgiving, you, you took a basket to Jesus. Rake leaves, you raked Jesus' leaves. That, if these three things don't motivate you, I, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, church, don't lessen good works. We preach grace around here, and we preach it unashamedly. We are saved by grace. But listen, when you truly understand the grace of God, you will see that you have a checking account with trillions of dollars in it. Spend wisely. Spend spend early, spend often, spend wisely. Spend. Spend. Do it. To lessen good works is to lessen the gospel itself. To forget about good works is to forget about the work of Christ, the full work of Christ, the work of Christ for you on the cross, the work of Christ through you in the flesh and the work that you do for Jesus as you do unto others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus,
Your work on the cross was a unique work. We can't do that one. We confess that. That's yours alone. None of us can climb on the cross and bring absolution of sin. None of us can climb on the cross and, and reconcile man to God. Only you, Jesus, could do that. That's your, your unique good work. But Jesus, the beauty of the gospel is that that's not the only work you did. You are now at work through us. You are now at work through us, your workmanship. God, we don't want to have a dead faith. We don't want to have a, we don't want to have a Christianity that's all talk. God, forgive us where we failed, but fill our hearts with the life-changing mercy of your love, your unconditional grace, your kindness. Help us to see that checking account. Help us to see the spiritual treasure that you've given us. We have received every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places. Now, God, may we take it out. May we carry your love, your goodness, your kindness, your gentleness, your joy, your patience, your compassion, your deeds. May we carry them out to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.